Hey guys, welcome to yet another episode of the First X Minutes Podcast. For those of us who have listened to at least one or two um, episodes of this podcast, thank you so much for always taking our time to listen to any of the episodes of this um, podcast. My name is Ruti Mudamala, but you find me on Twitter at papi underscore the great as at P-A-P-I underscore the great. I'm usually the anchor, started out as a lone ranger, um, sometime in 2018 but as the days have progressed i found my charm of attracting the big wigs from social media and dragging them onto this podcast to share their views on several football conversations topics and also ideas and yet again i have another football aficionado and um, i thought it would be wise of course it would be necessary to just have someone like him with all the football knowledge i mean if somebody started watching their first world cup was in usa 94 then that says that says a lot about their Wow! Let okay. me introduce myself. Please, don't let anybody start thinking I'm 39. I'm not 39. Oh my God! Please. That was unexpected. <laughs> yes, grand entrance. I've made not, my grand entrance. Not eating my lunch. <laughs> ah, okay, yes, fine. I was going to give you a grand entrance, but again, it crashed the party. Okay, so <laughs> introduce yourself. Um, your name, the club you support, and um, of course. And the club, you, uh, the people have said I should stop saying hate. So the club you dislike the most. Let me not ah, use the okay. word hate. Hello, everyone. My name is Cerebrone. Uh, Astore Cerebrone. That's my pseudonym. I'm not going to say my real name. That's <laughs> one. That's one I'm offended on to talk about. Look for me. Anyway, some people already know my name. So, uh, and I'm a Valencia fan. Uh, 19 years a Valencia fan. April 4th. 2001 that's when i became a valencia wow. fan 19 years so it's been a long journey um the team i dislike it's not dislike actually it's hate i hate oh wow it. okay I, I, too, I hate very much and i know um barcelona fans are already probably thinking i'm going to say it's them <laughs> unfortunately they're not that special so oh, no oh. it's not barcelona it's, okay. <laughs> Sevilla and Getafe. Yeah, Sevilla and Getafe. Wow. Absolutely despise Why? Why those two clubs? Okay. Um, for Sevilla, I think it has it it has kind of grown over the years. It was sometime around like 2008 that I don't know some bad blood started developing between both clubs. Um, mm. Sevilla have a way of cheating like they are very 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 good at cheating and just spoiling the party or something i remember back then it was always luis fabiano mm. fernando Nav- fernando navarro it was a horrible person fernando navarro was is very <laughs> much hated by valencia fans and you know those guys they were just annoying generally and they just used to find any means to to you know beat us using mm. the dark exactly and then um around like 2011 and that time we used to fight over um top four places to get into the champions league so it was really like fierce mm. competition us atletico Villarreal, and sevilla it was it was very fierce and it used to change like every year and then around like 2011 um it started getting really bad every time we went to the ramon sanchez pizuan um to play sevilla as their stadium we got the red card. It happened like five years in a row. You get a red card. Wow. And then, you know, I remember one oh. horrible one that happened with Jonas. It was it was the most absurd. Was it Jonas or Adduris? I think it was Jonas, yes. It was the most absurd red card you could think of. Like, it was almost standard that we go to Seville and collect the red card. So it was, it got really bad. And they always used to, then um, I think he now reached peak levels in 2014. And we played against them in the Europa League semi-final. In the first leg, they scored a goal that was like 70 yards offside. Um, Stefan Mbia, whom I still hate to this day. <laughs> and then um, there was... Uh, then um, their goalkeeper, Beto, kind of got Paco Alcacer suspended for the second leg. It was a very mm. fake, fake situation where he feigned injury. 
was when Alcacer didn't touch him, and Alcacer got the second yellow, got a yellow card that suspended him for the second leg. And Alcacer was at that time like the top scorer in the Europa League and had gotten us through the previous round with a hat trick. So it was like wow. really important. And in the return leg, we still managed to come back. And that time we we're like on this crazy run where we just always came back in games. In the previous round, we had lost 3 0 to Basel away. And then when we came home, we beat them 5 0. And then it was happening against Sevilla again. They led 2 0 from the first leg, one of, one of them being a very, very fake goal with Alcacer suspended. We're 3 0 up in the second leg. And literally five seconds away from entering the final. And they had a throw in. And all of this sudden. converted. Yeah, Mbia. Mbia again. I told you I hate oh, that game. Wow. And then Una Emery was their manager. Una Emery is our former manager. And Una Emery was running around the stadium, berserk, oh. celebrating and rubbing it in. So, like, from that day, like, the bad blood just exploded. From that day, you see Sevilla Went to another level. Yes, Sevilla fans will comment on Valencia post to be saying, Go Mbia. Go yeah, <laughs> and then every time we went trying to, to rub it in. Red card. exactly so like over time it just exploded like we really really hate Sevilla at this current time the, mm. the Sevilla games are like <laughs> a war that's how our games against Sevilla like personally if I, I can take Vanessa losing to any team but if you lose to Sevilla <laughs> I take it personally. It's the worst. <laughs> yeah, we have to, we have to be severe in a season. So that, like, that's very important for me. Then for Getafe, it's actually a pretty recent uh, rivalry or hatred. We never used to have any issues with Getafe before, and Getafe is kind of like a soulless club. Uh, I'm not, mm. I'm not sorry to say it. They are very soulless. They don't, they don't have any history like that. They're a club that had to beg fans. They did a, a campaign begging their fans to, um, uh, what do you call it, to have more sex <laughs> so that they can Whoa. give it to children who become get I think I caught that. I think I caught that um, some time, yeah. some time ago. Mm. Like that, that's how bad it is. They don't have fans. They don't have anything. They're just a team that collects like all Madrid's re- Madrid's rejects and use them for a while <laughs> and then send them back. That's what they do. I know okay. they're in the city of Madrid, so it's very easy. They just Se- have that alliance with Madrid. <laughs> oh, Madrid. Sebrone is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. All Madrid rejects. Go and check their oh, history. Wow. Miguel Torres, Soudado, everybody. They just pick mm. them up from Madrid and use them for a while. They, like, they are pretty much a soulless club. But then, some years back, something <laughs> happened. Um... <laughs> We had a very important game. I think it was a... We're trying to qualify into the Champions League. Um, and I think it was 2013-2014. I can't quite remember if it was that year or the year before. But what happened that day was we needed that game. We needed to win that game, basically. I was at home against Getafe. Getafe had pretty much nothing to play for. They're they that kind of team that would just appear. They just, you know, stay in mid When you party... Just for everybody's party, yeah. So they came to Mestaya to play, and um, at some point they were leading 2 1, if I remember correctly. And we're looking for the equalizer, like we, we went at them towards the end of the game. They broke away and scored again. Pedro Leon scored, and he now went to our fans. You know that thing that Debayo did against the uh, oh, Arsenal. Arsenal, that, yeah. that kind of thing it was just riling the fans up and just rubbing it in. And Jeremy Matthew, at that time he was our captain, he ran to um, Pedro Dino, like, what are you doing? And then he got into a scuffle. Matthew got a red card. And from that day, Ooh. there was some bad blood because we lost that game. And we never used to lose against Getafe. Like, they were a team that we used to beat easily. Regular so, customer. It was, it was annoying. <laughs> and then from that day, it just got really bad. And then they now hired um, Pepe Bordalas, who's their current manager. And he Bordalas is he's a good manager, like tactically he's very astute. But his team is just Dogri FC. Dogri. <laughs> immense Dogri. Trust me. I asked I saw it. I mean, when those draws were made for the mm, Party, mm, I said mm. it specifically that she I asked think that we we did shit out three. 
when they meet Getafe, they will cry blood. And indeed, they will know the definition. <laughs> indeed, they suffer. It was crazy. It was crazy. Paul was in play was for crazy the to watch. five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That's Getafe that's for you. Now, those guys started doing it to us. And for some reason, we couldn't beat them anymore. And this was the season when we were scoring for fun, when we were scoring six goals, five goals, beating mm. everybody. We were even to rest to December or January itself. These guys came to our stadium when we were in the peak of our form and they beat us. Then we went to their stadium wow, and they beat us again. Ah, like they beat us okay. like four, four <laughs> times in a row. Like that season and the next season. So like it was a lot of bad blood. And every time they did, they'll do it with Togri. I remember one game we played in away at Hetafe. Um San Simina got elbowed in the box by this guy Damian Suarez, their right back. And Damian Suarez is like someone I really hate. <laughs> I despise the guy because he doesn't have any boundaries. When we played them in a cup game last year, um, away, uh, it was away, the away leg, 1-0. Damien Suarez stomped on, like he studied the the feet of our 17-year-old kid. That's how wow. much this guy has no morals, no principles, nothing. A 17-year-old kid is stomped on him when, when the ref wasn't looking. And the boy fell down and was was wailing and everything. And the manager just walked away. So like, and the the elbow on Santimina was in the penalty box, like an actual elbow, just elbowed him in the face. So like, there's th- that things started to get really feisty with them. In that game, I was talking about the cup game where they stomped on the the seventeen year old kid. That was Kangini. Mm. In that game, um, we lost one zero. It was the cup quarter final, and when they scored. The assistant manager went to the front of our manager and did a crying, crying thing. <laughs> like, yeah, keep crying, blah, blah, blah. We just scored. It was like, you know that, that thing that Simeone did against them? Mm. Went to spare. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> exactly. That kind of taunting, he did it. Mm. And our players took it very personally. Manager took it very personally. So in the second leg, we were like, okay, we're going to beat these guys, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And then in the first it minute, it ended in premium tears. It started with tears, but it didn't end with tears. Okay, so okay. Them, yeah? And we're like, yeah, blah, you know, we're always hyping ourselves. We're going to beat them, blah, 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 blah. And then we got there, and these guys just scored within one minute. And our goalkeeper scored. Like, he didn't, he didn't, his positioning was really awful. And just one mm. simple near post shot. And it was one nil. So now we needed three goals against a team that almost never concede. Like to score against them is war. We needed three goals in this game. By halftime, we had not scored one goal, and it was Ooh. looking really horrible. Then all of a sudden, second half, um, sometime around the 70th minute, Rodrigo scored one. So now we needed two goals before the game ended. 80th minute, we had still not scored. 90th minute, we had still not scored. Okay. Then um, they added they added about seven minutes because there had been some stoppages earlier, like some serious stoppages. There was a red card for Jenny, Getafe guy, and there's there was some scuffle shot. So now we had seven more minutes left. No, six minutes. Sorry, we had six minutes to find two goals against a team that do not concede. And somehow it was Kangin Lee, that that kid that got stomped on the first leg. I kind of supplied the two goals. We gave the prices for the two goals. And we scored mm. two goals within two minutes. And just before the second goal went in, which wow. was our third, third goal of the game, um, they actually got a breakaway. And they were pretty much about to score. Molina was about to score. He took a shot, but the shot was blocked by his teammate, Ugodoro. Oh. The ball was literally going to the net, and his teammate just ran across hit him and back and then the um in in spanish a block means a, a block is toko so the commentator started shouting toko enudo toko enudo the guy that blocked it was ugoduro so it was basically oh, okay. saying a block by ugoduro right like yeah. his teammate literally just blocked the shot and everything and then we took that ball broke away and went to score and from there it was just chaos because they tried to fight everything after the game there was a brawl everybody was fighting rodrigo went to the i i the crying celebration to their fans and told them to get out manager had to cover rodrigo's mouth like there was a lot of you know 
struggle and shout and brawl and everything, mm. rolling and everything, and it was just crazy. From then, like the thing just scattered, like the, the rivalry and the hatred just sparked. It was crazy. And then Valencia fans started, you know, customizing their, their jerseys with Toko and Nukopiro, Toko and Nukopiro <laughs> everywhere and wearing it everywhere. They went to uh, Getafe Stadium and wore it. Like Whoa. so, things have been like really. Ugodura had to speak. Exactly. Ugodura had to complain at some point that what's what's all this? Some people said some people from Getafe side were complain that it's irresponsible of Valencia, blah blah blah. Oh, and really? Just and everything. You can't take so, the heat. <laughs> exactly. So like. Since then, it's been really bad blood. You can imagine how upset I was when we lost this season to them. We lost 3-0. We had no shot on target. They literally battered oh. us. They had like 10 shots on target and like 26 shots all, all through. And oh. we had zero oh, shots on okay. target. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So you can imagine some, how upset I was. Some, some, some football, Spanish football or Spanish club football history from um, the man himself, um, Cerebrone, the C-E-R-E. B R O N E C E R E B R O N E. It's funny how you you've painted a certain picture of Spanish La Liga football because the scenario in the the last five minutes the scenario you painted was one typical of say um, somebody poked to Villanova in the eye yeah. and all of that. Most people don't see Spanish football from this angle that you are portraying that because this rivalry you're talking about now most people just look at the La Liga from outside and say oh we only see Real Madrid and um, Barcelona we don't yeah. see we don't see the derby games between an Athletic Bilbao and some other teams we don't see the other derby games the feisty derbies the Celta uh, the Barcelona versus um, Espanyol derby the other derbies and it is funny how you giving us this perspective leads me to breaking news from um, the the country Spain and the Spanish La Liga that um, teams will uh, well they are being proactive. Let's put it that way, and they are saying, okay, if we can't finish the 2019-2020 La Liga season, then this is what will happen. We are recommending that the top four clubs. Um, currently, as things stand now, before things were left off because of the virus, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Sevilla, and Real Sociedad will qualify for the um, UEFA Champions League. While sixth, fifth place Getafe, and um, sixth place um, Athletic, Atletico Madrid, and um, Athletic Bilbao will also be offered up as sacrifices. Okay, no, not as as qualifiers for the next Europa League campaign. Now, there's a clause for Athletic Bilbao. No, the uh, um, Athletic Club, that's Athletic Bilbao. They are not in seventh place. Valencia is currently in seventh place, and that is where I want to talk to Cerebroni about this. But there's a clause. If Athletic Bilbao win the Copa del Rey final, they qualify. If they don't, Valencia qualifies um, for the next campaign of the Europa League. Now, I have two questions, though. Is it fair on Valencia that at the end of the day, if the Copa del Rey is being played and then the La Liga, the Copa del Rey final is played and the La Liga doesn't finish and Valencia doesn't get a chance to stop Athletic Bilbao and then maybe climb even higher up the table, is it fair to Valencia in any way? Then secondly, what happens to teams that are relegated? Will there be no relegation? Or will it be the last three as it stands um, qualifying for relegation to the um, La Liga 2 division? I'll tell you what I think of the idea. I think it's garbage. I think... Uh, <laughs> I'm not just saying this because Valencia are getting shafted. Because I genuinely didn't even think we are going to qualify for the Champions League or something. And with the way we are going and with the form that we are showing, I didn't even think we are going to make Europa League as well. But that notwithstanding, mm. it's still garbage because um, some teams have played some harder fixtures than others, right? And if you look at the remaining fixtures, some teams in the race for like top four and everything, some teams have way harder fix- fixtures, you know, and some have mm. way easier fixtures. So just um, just saying, okay, as it is. And of course, we've played only 27 games, so there are 11 more games to play. A lot of twists mm. and turns. I'll give you an example. Last season, we came fourth, right? And 
Do you know when we entered into fourth position for the whole season? The first time we entered into fourth position was in the seventh week. Yeah, week. Whoa. That means when the entire season, Getafe were, were fourth like for most of the season and everything. And the final two weeks, we came in and we took it. So mm. that, that that's just a classic example of how anything can happen. You know, in the final few of weeks of the season, especially of when course. it's this close, like it's really, really close at this point. If you look at the points that leads, you have um, Sevilla in 47 points, Real Sociedad in 46 points, and fourth. Getafe are also on 46 points. Up, yeah. Exactly. Getafe are on 46 points as well. So they're just being, they're just behind Real Sociedad on a head-to-head. Then Atletico Madrid are on 45, Valencia are on 42. So separating third and seventh is just five points. And then you just split it all of a sudden. With 11 it games to go, exactly. a whole lot can still happen. A whole lot can still happen. So it doesn't make sense that you just say, okay, as the table is, let's just put it like that. It doesn't make sense. And mm. I'm pretty sure UEFA will reject it. But also, I mean, obviously, you'd expect that Spanish clubs will also reject this suggestion, especially the clubs that would not benefit from it. But here's <laughs> the thing I've learned about Spanish clubs. They are so subservient and meek. And I don't know what it is, but they just do not know how to stand up for themselves. And I mean, understandably though, sometimes, you know, they are strong armed. I remember when um, this guy, Del Nido, he was the pres- president of Sevilla a, a long time ago, like in late, tw- uh, late 2000s, early 2010s. And one time he stood up regarding the money distribution. And mm. all of a sudden, corruption cases just arrived for him and he landed in jail. Wow. So, you know that, of course, there's a lot that goes on in the background and the teams just, you know, are meek. I've seen some arrangements where I was like, this doesn't make sense for Valencia. Why are we going for it? And things like that. Like the um, Super Cup. You saw the Super Cup. Yeah, where, I was played in. Exactly. Sorry, there was no reason why we shouldn't have stood up and said, we are not taking part in this competition if they are going to do this. But somehow, mm. we ended up taking part in it and we didn't stand our ground. So... That's why I, I really don't have faith in Spanish teams. I feel like if UEFA somehow agree to this and say, okay, Spain, go ahead, that Spanish clubs are not going to really stand up. They are going to allow themselves to be bullied as you. Mm. So I'm not really, not really hopeful that anything will come of that. But I think that it's, it's a very, very shabby idea. I think they either play the season, whichever time it comes up, even if it's um, October, they should play the rest of the season. And if they can't, they should avoid the season. There's no mm. reason why you should do um, okay just the way it is, just pick four apart, pick three, then like that. It doesn't make any sense. And also, you missed out something. Um, if the final is not played, if the final is not played, um, Athletic Club qualify. If that Copa del Rey final, if it's not played, no Valencia. They qualify. No, if it's not played, they qualify. And if it is played, as according to the source, if it's not played. Oh. They qualify. Okay. Yes. If it's played yes. and they yes. win, they qualify. So the only hope we have is that it is played and they lose. And they they lose. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> still, still the first X Meets podcast. Um, I'm your host, Papi the Great. You find me on Twitter at Papi underscore the Great. As at P A P I underscore the Great. I have one of the greatest um to follow the game well he, he claims he's still young but we some of us we we know we know I'm better so that's, yeah that's what your coach said you should say right <laughs> <laughs> at cerebrone that's c-e-r-e-b-r-o-n-e we touch on la liga one more time before we move on to other pressing issues and um what comes to mind you're spoken about how some managers, some team owners try to step up to the authorities that be and whatnot. Now, in the past decade, in the past two decades, do you think La Liga has um, changed, maybe grown, has become more developed with more eyeballs and with more, obviously, more TV money following not just the El Clasico now, but other clashes here there, and everywhere. Do you think La Liga has changed over the let's say the past decade? If yes, what do you think has changed? If you if no, why do you think the change is yet to happen? Well, um I do not really think that the league has changed much. I don't think mm-hmm. or at least not not changes that 
progressive enough or noticeable enough for me. Mm-hmm. I think that Malaga um, has had so many opportunities to really explode, you know, and take take over from the Premier League, at least in terms of something like marketing and reaching a wider audience and having more people sign up to be fans of other clubs outside of Real Madrid mm-hmm. and Barcelona, and they've not taken it. In my opinion, they've not. And I mean, this is a league that had how many sale winners over the past decade? They had um, two sale winners who covered up. Um, the Real Madrid won four, Barcelona won two, that's six. Mm-hmm. Atletico Madrid got two finals. Sevilla repeated the Europa League. Atletico Madrid won the Europa League twice. You know, within the same decade, Athletic Club were in the final of the Europa League. Valencia went two, three semifinals. It's it's insane that despite all of that, you still. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. People don't really know what's going on outside Real Madrid and Barcelona. They don't. Mm. Most of what I do with my club is just like, you know, me just being too loud. That's why people just somehow know that, okay, there's a parallel in Valencia. This guy is always talking mm. about him and stuff like that. But in terms of generally, people really don't have the information about other clubs. And what's this, going on? Yeah, this wasn't really the case back then when we had Super Depot, you know, really tearing everything up mm. in Europe. We had Valencia mm. back then, mm. that Valencia uh, era. We had those teams. We had Real Sociedad that almost won the league at one point. And Javi Alonso and Javi Prieto and all those guys, that Kovacevic and Co. We had Celta Vigo even, um, you know, Valeria Kapin and, and the likes stepping up and, and and you know just being out there i mean they played um, knockout stages of the champions league as well south Vigo back then so mm. there's there's a lot that at the space spain's have teams that were recognizable outside of real madrid and barcelona that teams could that um, fans could identify with and even become fans of but in recent years has been all about real madrid and barcelona and i don't think that the powers that be have a problem with it I think they like it because they're I remember they're comfortable with it because I remember a statement made by um, Yavie Tebas, who is the boss, uh, La Liga Spanish boss, La Liga president. Yeah, the LFP boss, and he was saying something about how he's a Real Madrid fan, by the way, but he was basically saying that um, he would rather it remains this the way it is. At least look at Barcelona. Uh, we need Barcelona and Real Madrid to be strong. So that they can be doing things on the continent and stuff like that. And I to other teams doing stuff on like, the continent. Exactly. That was like his explanation of the money disparity and some other things. And I was like, this this doesn't make any sense. How about the other teams? They, no they matter too. I mean, look at what Atletico Madrid have been able to do. They almost won sale twice. So mm. I mean that shows that other Spanish teams can, you know, if hold their own the opportunity. The if given the, the opportunity, you can't keep favoring two teams. The, the, I'm very sure also the um, the RFEF boss uh, Rubiales he was one that proposed the Super Cup, the Shambles Super Cup tournament. I feel like Rubiales could uh, he knew what he wanted. He wanted a an classical final in Saudi Arabia. That was his plan. Money. So that 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 was all about money. I was so happy when um, Barcelona were knocked out because I was like, finally he's not going to get his El Clasico final. Because that was really what he wanted. It was have Real Madrid fans and Barcelona fans in Saudi Arabia come and mass and watch their teams and make some money and all <laughs> and of that. And it was disappointed. <laughs> and it was disappointed because Real Madrid got in and then Barcelona went and fumbled and they, they didn't get it. So he didn't get the final he was looking for. He so you can still me. see along the way that they are not really thinking of developing the league on a on a grand scale. Mm. They are not. They are not. I don't know. They are not doing enough. I, I know that short-sightedness. Yeah, it's very private. short-sighted. They're just talking about immediate value. Still prioritizing immediate value over long-term value. Exactly. And you have to look at the potential of the other Spanish clubs. Mm. There's a lot of mm. potential mm. there. I mean, some people have become Atletico Madrid fans over the past decade because of what Simeone has done yes. with that team and yes. because of the heights yes. they've reached. Yes. I remember one mm. guy on TV back in 2011. A young guy, I think it was about 17 or something. He was like a pundit on TV. And he was an Atletico fan. And he had and they had just recently become one because of their exploits and everything they were doing at that time. And I mean, that's just an example of how someone can just become a fan 
just like that because you're seeing a team more visibility. Chelsea, that's how Chelsea and Colcott fans, Arsenal, uh, Arsenal it was Kanu and all of that. Nigerians just flocked there. And of course, the EPL did a lot of marketing, a lot of work with their marketing. Mm-hmm. And now you see Trying people are even sports fans. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And now people are even sports fans. I, I know Aston Villa fans. I know Bolton fans from like I know Kale, Kale, Kale. 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 Exactly. <laughs> so it's it's that's why all of a sudden, like somehow it's it's strange to hear that I'm a Valencia fan when Valencia is easily the third biggest club in Spain. And in terms of G is maybe fourth. But in terms of like mm. size and fans and everything, we are third. And it sounds absurd that there would be a Nigerian Valencia fan. But the third biggest club in the country. But it's not absurd when you have the fifth, maybe the fifth biggest club in England having fans <laughs> in Nigeria. You can see the problem. So and it's understandable why. Because Spain hasn't just done enough to allow the other clubs to also you know, thrive and it's 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 just sad to see. So that's why I feel like there's been no changes. And unfortunately, the past decade has been about Real Madrid and Barcelona, as usual. It has been about Messi and Ronaldo bullying everybody else. Those two teams just stacked all the talent and basically bullied everyone. We got to a point where um, we finished 20 points behind second place um, Real Madrid. Was ah, it Barcelona? Yeah, second place. This was um, this was in 2011-2012 when when Mourinho's team hit 100 points. Um, I know Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah, Barcelona had 91 points. We had shattered every record. Shattered every record inside that season. Still, the first X Minutes podcast. In case you're wondering, um, your host, Papi the Great. This is going to be. If you have listened thus far, I'm sure you probably should be making up your mind right now to um, maybe ditch the El Clasicos for a while and just wonder what happens when um, Getafe takes on Athletic Bilbao or when Valencia travels to Villarreal. Um, the submarines, the yellow submarines, play against the yellow submarines. Because most of us, we argue, especially on social media, we show off our ignorance by by just jumping up and saying, oh, this, this, this. And then somebody comes from somewhere and tries to teach you about what else is happening in the La Liga that is not Real Madrid, that is not Barcelona, that is not Sevilla, that is not even Atletic, Atletico Madrid or Valencia. And then ignorance shows up in the public. So it's fun the reason why we're fans is not because it's Real Madrid or Barcelona. The reason why we're fans is because we love the round leather game of football. And then we should put in more effort. Yeah, we find time to watch Chelsea versus Manchester United. There are some people that their life is just all about the Premier League. <laughs> and they just they only watch well, the Premier League. In the end, it's all about interest, that? to be honest. The, yeah, I guess it. Yeah, maybe I'm, I'm speaking about this because of how fun, how much of a fan I am. I mean, if, yeah, if exactly. we go on and on now, we, we could talk about how we we had Saturdays went from maybe 12 p.m. to 11 p.m. We were just switching from one football channel to the other football yeah, channel, trying to yeah. keep up with content and everything. And for some of us who were crazier, after that finished and they were not satisfied enough, they switched over to the Copa Libertadores to catch up yeah. with content exactly. happening I, I used on that such a consumer of football when I was way younger. Like I used to watch everything on TV, everything. So it's it's basically about interest. And some people, if it's not Chelsea, if it's not Manchester United, if it's not Arsenal, yeah. every other thing can go. Um, well, I, I whatever they want to do with themselves. We we'll stick with La Liga one more time. The script. Yeah. Mm. I think it's mm. important to differentiate between. Um, I think there are, there are two kinds of of football followers. I think there are people who just do it like as a hobby, like, okay, they just love watching their favorite mm-hmm. teams and all of that. They don't really have an interest in being, in consuming mm. all of football. Then there are some others who just, who are very, very deeply um, interested in the game. So, such that those kind of people can watch any football Anything. whatsoever. Anything. As long as it's a football game, they just want to consume mm. it. I think those are the people that you are talking to. But if you are talking to the fans who yeah. just want to see their favorite teams and then move on, and it's not likely that you want to watch a Ligon game or something or a La Liga game or something. Mm. So it's not, not likely, not likely at all because 
Yeah, like my guest has rightly said, there are two kinds of football fans. I wonder which one you are. I'm thinking we stick with the La Liga one more time and we talk about the revolutionary of the game in the league during its time. I'm talking about none other than the bald one. Um, I'm talking about the one who people term a regard as the checkbook manager. None other than Manchester City's Pep Guardiola before he became Manchester City boss, before he became Bayern Munich boss, before he even became Barcelona boss. I mean, he started from the trenches right there um, in um, in Catalonia. Now, a whole lot of people have a whole lot of things to say about the bad one. Not for his physical attributes or anything, but it's about the way he has gone about creating his own success. And a lot of people try to, whenever they try to pit him against Mourinho, they try to say, oh, checkbook manager, if he didn't, if he was at Barcelona, he wouldn't have done this. Since he left Barcelona now, no Champions League trophy. Look at what he did at Manchester City. He had to overhaul the squad with money before he achieved success. Now, I want to ask you, Sarah Brennan, for, for you, this, is causing a, this has caused a divide on, divide on social media between fans and everybody. We need to come to a conclusion. What exactly makes Pep Guardiola a checkbook manager when we live in the world that your success as a football manager is largely dependent on the spending power of the club or the team that you're managing? So everybody's a checkbook manager, isn't it? Pretty much. Um, I think that people just love to find a way to discredit people who are too successful. So um, they'll do for <laughs> anything. That's just the truth. Because um, a lot of all these things are steeped in hypocrisy. If we are being honest, um, you call this one a checkbook manager and then say this one, the end is whatever. Okay, go and coach Stoke now and win everything <laughs> that you're Go and win the Champions League with Stoke. Abi? Because this one is a checkbook. I mean, every manager that they want to say is not a checkbook manager has had to spend to improve his team. Which is the whole point of you know um the old checkbook manager thing you have to improve your team so what do you do you go and buy and you spend money so you are you are automatically a better manager than others because you didn't spend as much doesn't really make sense to me for me i feel that my, the the question of spending is just is, is ridiculous everybody spends and if managers had the capacity or the the they have they had the resources to you know get the best players they would every manager would that's just the reality of the matter every manager would and all if you check all the managers everybody from alex ferguson alex ferguson bought players he didn't spend big on veron he did when i was hearing the price Mike brought peter smike i was like oh what was it is it casper I mean, now? which one is the dad uh, peter is the dad casper is the oh, peter one is the, yes, yeah Peter, yeah, so, the, the, the I mean, the amount of spent to buy those players, to build the squad up, and all of that. Because it's necessary. You have to spend. When um, Manchester United signed Rooney, it wasn't for peanuts. It was the most expensive mm. teenager. Mm. It wasn't for peanuts. And you see what Rooney gave them over the course of 15 years. It gave them everything they paid for and more. But that's mm. what you mm. do. You have to spend. Do you think that you'd have a player and all those? Um, talents from Manchester United to Real Madrid without spending. You, you had to give them crazy money to have that kind of player because you knew that it was going to give you nine, ten solid years of of excellence that mm. would actually change you know things in your club. All the way back to Alfredo De Stefano, money was spent, a lot of yes. pool, a lot yes. of financial yes. pool, yes. and yes. we all know how De Stefano changed things at Real Madrid. They were they had like. Um, how many titles when he got there? Like two titles, and he came and won eight in eleven you, or something. Everybody, you everybody you apart. Even on the, on and the now it's in history. Thing. Yeah, and now it's in history that you know mm. Real Madrid had um, this many um, La Liga titles in so so time and everything. How did they do? It? They didn't do it by just having anybody. They had to spend money to get those kind of players, Puskas and. Mm. I don't know what Puskas, what they spent on Puskas. I think it was free or something, because it was like towards the end. But I'm just saying that they had to attract the best, you know, the best players, the best talents around the world. That's what big teams do. 
and they do whatever it takes. If they can get the talent for free, they'll jump at it. If they can't, they'll spend. Look at them. <laughs> and it's weird that it's Manchester United fans of many times are calling Pep a checkbook manager because they are literally the same people that cry to their club to spend money. Like you're always crying, ah, yeah. We need a new signing. I think it's signing. just weird. Like it's just weird how people can have speak divergent opinions at the same time and not see the, the problem. You know, Pep Guardiola is an excellent manager. Anybody that wants to argue it is deceiving himself. Anybody that says he's not a genius is deceiving himself. He is just like every other top manager, every world class manager, is a genius. Unfortunately, there are managers that are, you know, at the bottom of the food chain that don't have the resources and are making do what they have. Mm. Credit them. Mm. But if you are going to be at the top and be able to manage at the top, it's, it's only at the top, rather, that you can get all the plaudits you're looking for, all the trophies you're looking for that will actually establish you as one of the greatest in the game. You're not going to do it managing Stoke or, 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 or get Getafe or something. You're going to have to go to a team that has the resources you know, to match that ambition. And you can only do that at, you know, top teams. Why why, why aren't um, top managers randomly going to teams at the bottom? Why are they not <laughs> going to the championship to prove themselves? You know, people are saying that... I mean, we have to relate it to our lives, right, as human beings. Mm. When you want to go for a job, you go for the job that has the best conditions to help you thrive. That is what you do. Mm. You go to that is that okay. is what you do. Uh, I I think that for those of us who have been listening, if you have been listening, to, if you have listened to this podcast episode till this stage, definitely I'm sure Cerebrone has helped you to, um, if not for anything, have a different perspective as to what football is in its entirety and also what football is in specific parts. We're talking about um, different types of fans. We're talking about settling this age-old debate about whether his manager is a checkbook manager or is not a checkbook manager. The fact is we all need resources, regardless of how talented you are. If you're a talented singer and you don't have somebody to use their money to promote you, or you don't have a connect, or you don't have the influence or the people of influence in your circle to help you push your brand or to help you source for the best equipment, chances are you will remain what you've always been, a talent, raw one, without maybe blowing up in quotes, like the street slang state. And speaking of blowing up, well, Hurricane seems to be blowing up in such a way that he dispers ground is no longer um, big enough for him to um, do his, should I say, show his exploits. Well, Champions League final, almost touching the Champions League trophy and not necessarily touching it was one thing. But then again, he's blown up to the extent where clubs are now trying to get across to him and say, hey, we want you to play for us. One club has been in the rumors lately, despite all the virus talk, there's still two rumors, transfer rumors talk, and one that is getting um, stronger by the day is Hurricane's transfer move to Manchester United. Whatever the amount is, some say 200 million um, pounds, another say, another outlet says this amount, that amount. We're not touching on the amount right now, but we're touching on, as a player, Hurricane on one hand, Manchester United as a club on the other hand. Is this move, Sir Brunning, a step up for Hurricane? I'm sure we're going to we're going to touch a, a whole lot of we're going to step on some toes now. Is this move a step up for Hurricane or is it Hurricane going one level down? Nah, um if, if you had asked me this question last year, um maybe I would have said okay, maybe it's it's a step down or something in terms of down. where mm. yeah, in terms of where Manchester United were as a club you know, their level and everything and what they were competing for compared to sports who looked a lot, a lot more likely to compete for, you know, whatever. Of course, they were not going to win those trophies, but at least they were going far and they were an established top four side. Manchester United were up and down and up and down like that. But right now, sports are in decline and their squad has peaked and the only way is down now. 
that Champions League final, that unexpected Champions League final they entered, did mm. more harm down, especially since they moved. Yeah, because once you you, mm. you you that's like the pinnacle of the sports that in, in terms of club football, that Champions League, the Champions League final. So when you unexpectedly get there and then you don't win. It's very hard to remotivate yourself now. Try, especially when you're a club. Keyword, keyword, unexpectedly get yeah, there. Okay. Only, we all expected right. them to be like second round, at best quarterfinal, and then get out. And all wow, of a sudden, they made and it to the final. Mm. Yeah, exactly, and they made it to the final. So when you do that, you get all the way. It's a, it's a roller coaster after that. When you get there and then you lose and you come back down to earth, how do you remotivate yourself to pull the same? surprises and get to the final again it's very very difficult and especially for a sports mm. side that really lost they lost their manager eventually that got them there the the many of the players are now pretty much old they're in their 30s toby toby and um, the tonjin are in their 30s yaris is in his 30s like so the squad isn't as and you know that they, they've not been spending so their squad planning has been awful so at this point, sports don't look like a team that can challenge for anything or even pull those surprises anymore. They don't even look like a team that can be an established top four side anymore. Mm. They would have to rebuild. They need a long, tough rebuilding process. And Hurricane is not at a point in his life where he should be part of any rebuilding process, to be honest, mm. because he's, he, this is his peak. It's, it's, this, these are his prime years, and he shouldn't be spending it rebuilding again after not, you know, you know, getting any accolades. I mean, all those things happen to be important for players. But, I mean, he loves the club, so maybe he would want to stay. I wish David Villa had stayed, had stayed at my club. <laughs> Unfortunately, he had to go because of money issues that we had. But Hurricane moving to Manchester United gives him a new challenge also. It's now easier to, to motivate himself to mm. keep going. So it gives him a new challenge. He's joining a, a very huge club, one of the biggest clubs in the world, and that that also does a lot for his brand. And I mean, you are England's captain, pretty much. You are England's captain. You are you are playing for the joint the biggest club in England, pretty much. Yeah. Mm. Well, Liverpool fans will argue with that, but Manchester United <laughs> is the biggest club in England. When when you consider everything, another another, another subject of debate. Of course, yeah, of course, it's not just, of course. It's not just trophies that make it the biggest. You have the to numbers are there to speak for themselves. Exactly. Manchester United, the brand mm. is too huge, so it does a lot for Hurricane's career also in terms of how it's viewed and everything. So, I mean, it's easily a step up at this point. Mm. Easily a step up at this point, but we won't be stepping up. We're not stepping out of the podcast episode yet because I have just one more question for Sir Bernard before I let him enjoy his Thursday evening and the rest of what seems to be every day is a weekend, um, at least until COVID 19 goes back to where it's coming back, it's coming from. So, battle of the managers, um, we've had so many managers, we can off the top of our heads, we can go on and on and on and all of that. However, the absence of live football has forced us to relieve football moments, relieve this scene, that scene. Oh, this is what happened at the France 98. This is what happened at Korea, Japan. This is what happened at the Euro 2000. Um, that, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. Now, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, different eras by all means. I can't believe the kind... I, I, I used to watch clips of football in the 90s and I used to say to myself, how is it that... This guys survived this era. I mean, most of the kids playing football now, I, I, I was well, a personal opinion though. I think most of them will not survive the kind of football that was played in the nineties, especially in the CDR, the, the 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 toughness of the defenders then, and the likes of Baresi, the likes of Maldini, the AC Milan of that era, Capello, Saki, we come to Johan Krev, come to Pep Gajola, Coman, Rijkaard. It's a long, long list of managers who have been there, done that. Now, for you, which of these eras do you think 
produced the best managers. Do you think it was the 80s? Do you think it was the 90s? I think football, I think personally though, football played in the 90s was just on another another level entirely. And then came the 2000s, Pep Guardiola, Savenga with the Invincibles, um, Jose Maria with the Champions League trophy wins, Carlo Ancelotti and all of that, Benitez, not forgetting Benitez also. And then the 2010s, oh, well... Gadilla again, Fergie, Jose Mourinho here, there, and everywhere. Now, for you, which of these eras you think, ah, oh, man, this era produced the best of the best when it comes to managerial mentions? Um, well, I agree with you that the 90s was like a crazy era, and it's an era that I, I respect like a lot, and I hate when you know people come at it. And also to, to comment on your, your point about um, players in this era not being able to survive in that very, very difficult era. I think that if they were born in that era, they would have had to oh, grow up with those that. conditions. <laughs> Human beings, yes, they would, yeah, have, they would grow up like do. that. They would grow up in a breakneck, you know, period. So obviously they would, um, mm-hmm. by that become... The training they would have received. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's only if you carry them as they are now, go and pace them, they will suffer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but for me, um, the kind of man, the managers I respect most in history, in football history, are the managers that laid the, bl- the blueprints, the managers mm. that didn't have much to go on, the ones that that had to deal with a sport that was not yet fully developed, that had to think, the innovators, the ones that mm. came mm. and decided to think, you know, of new new ways to to do things, to they had to think ahead of their time. To make things work mm. and those managers came way before now and for me the the best managers in football came in the 50s 60s 70s let me just mm. narrow it down to 60s and 70s i'm talking rhinos mitchells mm. i'm talking Neri Rocco, um this guy eleno herrera um all those guys um What's this guy's name? Uh, the the Hungarian guy, Gustavo Sebes, all those guys. I think that they were in an era mm. where they had to come up with, you know, all sorts of things, new things. Then there was also Pela Gottman as well, the crazy crazy manager that cost Benfica. <laughs> so um, those guys, I think that they, they they had a lot of disadvantages and they had to think. They mm. had to. I mean, when when Casinacio was catching everywhere, there were managers that had to go and sit down and think of new ways to defeat Casinacio. Yeah. <laughs> so they came up with their own. So that was basically mm-hmm. what it was. When something is dominating too much, some managers would look and say, "What's this nonsense? What? How, how can this What's thing be to break? oppressing us like this?" Like this? So they go back and then they come mm. back and you know they they come up with something that beats it. They, I mean, football basically has been like that. At least in those times. But nowadays, you see where teams are, our managers are scared. They are scared to. I don't know. I I watch. Innovate. I watch. Yeah, not just innovate, but um, they are scared when they. I mean, I remember. Okay, let me give you an example. I remember when teams started attacking Man City, right? And they started getting mm. some, getting lucky and getting results and all of that. And I said one day that Manchester City just need to beat one team, 7-0 or something, and everybody will retreat. And it happened. Everybody needs to team. run back everybody, into their shells. Everybody <laughs> just said that they're not coming out again. I'm like, this is awful. <laughs> when when um, Liverpool were wiping everybody this season, teams got scared and they stopped coming. They stopped trying. Mm. They just sat down and took a big set. And for me, I, I think that's very cowardly. I do not like it. I'll give you an example of, you know, a manager of manager a manager that is brave. Um, this guy at Rhymes, um, study Rhymes, and um, David Guion. Mm-hmm. Rhymes are not a team that got promoted like um, two seasons ago. They are not the most. Um, they are not the richest club in the world. Nothing. They're just they're just a modest club trying to regain their greatness because they were great in like the 60s and 50s. Now, these guys went to PSG this season and they beat PSG 2-0. They didn't concede and then they won 2-0 in PSG Stadium. Mm. And 
they did it by being organized by being and by actually trying to score attacking psg when they could and they actually it wasn't a, a game where you felt like oh they just got lucky no they didn't get lucky because they game and it was obvious and they played they, in fact <laughs> seen that psg struggled to even have shots on target that was how bad it was wow. and that that was for me i felt like this is it this is this is what i love to see and that rhymes team they have pretty much the best defense in europe but they, they had it at some point but i think they lost in the last two three weeks of football for this whole mm. crisis they've considered just 21 goals in the league in 27 games and they are just very very organized and for me those are the kind of managers i admire and that's something that we had in abundance in the 60s and 70s nowadays we don't mm. really have it most teams want to copy when um this uh, when conte came and he was winning with three but people were first saying that three <laughs> cannot work with Premier League. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But after All of a sudden, season or just two, starts everybody starts doing three at the back. Like, I can't <laughs> see that you want to adopt something that is working or something. But I don't. I feel like it's so lazy when you just want to copy and paste, even when it doesn't favor the kind of players that you have. That you and that's have what I first about this era. People don't. They they don't want to fit. Um, they don't want to create like or customize information for the players they have and just optimize everyone they want to just copy and paste ideas and it don't, i mean if you have a, a player that is an ss that has natural maybe you have a dibala or a rodrigo de paul there is no reason why and you know that this guy is probably your best player there's no reason why you should be playing for 3-3 no reason whatsoever mm-hmm. i've seen this happen at eugenius of, of course of course they've changed it a bit you know and they've been sacking managers anyhow but Rodrigo Di Paul is their best player he's a 10 and sometimes an SS but at some point they were trying to be stubborn and start playing formations that did not favor him you're supposed to optimize your best player but mm. obviously I think that's just what Atalanta play. have done so far yeah, exceptionally exactly. well this season exactly mm. they use the formation that works with players they have they have full backs that are very crazy mm. they optimize Gomez. them um, this guy at Ebola. Mm. Mm, All those guys. Table, yeah. um, um, those guys are there and they are, they, are, they are doing the business because they have a manager that has looked at the players he has and said, you know what? These guys, this is the best way for you to be optimal. You don't have to come and play 4-3-3 because the world is playing 4-3-3 or because you are scared. People always say that oh, 4-3-3 is the formation that um, nobody has answers to and blah, blah, blah. It's a lie. I will play 4-4-2. <laughs> and that would suffer, <laughs> you know. So that's why I don't really respect managers much in this era because I think that mm. too many of them are cowards, too many of them are copycats, they just want to copy ideas mm. from. And here's another thing though a lot of the ideas that people think in this era are new and anything special, the ideas that have existed for sometimes 100 years in football. Mm. So what these managers just do, they just go go to somewhere and just revamp it. <laughs> adapt it to their current situation, finish. You know, when I was I told someone one time that this first nine, first nine that you're saying, it's not new. That someone was playing first nine in 1890 in England. They were like, huh? okay. And I'm like, well, you make it look as if Femino invented it or Messi invented it in 2009 on that paper. Yeah, that paper. I've been playing this thing. Ijeguti mm. was playing it in the 50s for the Hungarian team. Like, there have been players that have done all these things. But it's just that think, sometimes those things get lost. In, yeah, like, I, 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 and I think it's the laziness on our part as yes. fans to read. And because somebody just comes up with a revamped idea and everybody's like, wow, yeah. And then people who are in love with the history of football tell us, wait, this thing happened in the 30s or the 40s. Why are y'all so excited about it happening now? It's like, just a repeat of something that has happened before. And just in case you are listening to this podcast and you're thinking, wow, these two guys are pretty, pretty old. Well, I'm not I'm not old. I'm, I'm not old. I mean, I understand as a listener, you're probably wondering, wait, when somebody asks you a question about best managers and the guy has to say, has to go to the 50s, 60s, 70s, wow. This guy must be old. I mean, he's in his 50s, he's in his early 60s or something. The boy, according so, to this podcast, so said he's a teen, he's a teenager. So yeah, a teenager. I'm, a, I'm a teenager. I just read. 
And I think that for everybody that reads or goes into history to find out stuff, you'll get, that, you'll get, there's so there's much. A, there's, there's a level so of much. history that you read that nothing you are saying would impress you as much because you realize yeah, that. I true, mean, true, true, true. I'll give you an example also. Pele. You know, people were, um, people were saying that, you know, ah, all these skills and everything. People were getting wild by skills. And then someone came on Twitter one day and said, every skill you are seeing, every dribble, every trick that you are seeing, Pele has done it. And he did it in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s. Wow. And, and, I'm um, trying to find this. It's going to go. People challenged. Uh, like, yeah. That was that. Yeah, sure. And this person brought out a video. Everything from snake bites to whatever, every <laughs> skill that you can think of, Pele wow. did it. Time. and he had, the guy had video evidence and I saw the video and I was in awe because obviously you know it's very hard to get footage from that time and all of that so like mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. some of that history is lost but when you have people when you have people Suss in those mm-hmm. times telling you that they are not impressed with some of the players that we are crazy about it should make you think people that witnessed them Pele saying that these guys that you're not what you are seeing that you are going crazy about is not anything special. <laughs> you have to take a step back and actually go and research instead of arguing with them. Say, okay, mm, let me go and true, find true. out what that's that's the approach me I take. I remember one very embarrassing um thing that happened to me. It wasn't embarrassing, Sha, but it was it was back back when I was in um okay, I will not I'll not say where I was for <laughs> people start computing my age. But anyway. <laughs> At that time, it was in 2010 or so, and I was dissing Busquets, Sergio Busquets, because I didn't, I didn't like him and I didn't rate him, and I didn't rate him mostly because I hated the fact that Yaya had to go because of him. Mm. But also, I, I, I mean, I felt in comparison with Yaya, he was was nothing. And why is this guy? Why is people allowing this guy play? And he was a Real Madrid fan. That tapped me and said, dude, you are not watching Busquets well. You need to like move your bias and just sit down and watch this guy. And just pay attention. Him. Pay attention to just him when we are watching a game. And I did that for like two weeks. And then I tapped the guy back and I told him, dude, I see what you mean. Mm. And that's the kind of approach I get. If you give me compelling reasons why I should change my opinion on something or why just give me something, I'll go and research and do as much research as I want. I, I can. People say tend to think that I'm very rigid in my opinions. I'm not. I'm very open to Yeah, of course. Especially wrong. on Twitter. Most people are like, yeah. Wow, that guy just comes here and just compelling reasons. We can't attack his facts. <laughs> ah, if you give me compelling reasons why I should go and change I should change my opinion, I'll change it. Very fast. I hated Ronaldo. I believe me. I hated Ronaldo. I thought it was overrated. I thought it was going to flop in Real Madrid. I didn't like Busquets. I thought it was average. You know, there have been many situations like that where I misjudged players because I wasn't mm. I wasn't viewing them the way I should have. And someone just helped me recalibrate and said, okay, check this person out or do this or read this or do that. Mm. And I've gone back and I've read and I've you know improved my knowledge or something. Nobody's you know um a of all the knowledge. But there's of a course, lot in history. From what I've realized, there's a lot in history that there's a in fact it's history is so beautiful. There's a lot that we can find out in history that if you just keep digging into history, you'll just be fascinated. And I feel like that's what it's, the average it's like a, it's fan, like an endless yeah. The mm. average football fan should aspire to that so that you don't come and start giving absurd opinions or saying things you know, <laughs> that don't follow. Just go and first up yourself, read, read more. That's what I think the world needs, honestly. That's what we think you need to do with all the spare time you have now that COVID-19 is has given most of us a compulsory break. Not all of us, though. Most of us a compulsory break. Relax, dig into the archives, get familiar with this thing you say you love. You love football. That's good. You say you're a football fan. Fantastic. Why not just dig in? Start with the 90s. Go deeper. 80s. 
read up about the 70s there are tons and tons you can't even exhaust all the, you can't exhaust all the information not in two weeks i dare i dare say not in two months i even dare say not in a year because there's just a lot to read up on football has changed has diversified has, has diversified over the period has transformed from one generation from one era to another speaking of era thank you so much for giving us such uh what's the word i think such an insightful um piece or should i say insightful revelatory um i'm stuck for english now yeah i know you're a teenager and i'm really i'm thinking how does a teenager come up with all this i'll keep rubbing it, rubbing it in <laughs> until you say until you say your real age but then again it's good to it's good to have you on board you've taught me about valencia i know better now so when i see valencia fans and get hetafe fans getting at each other's throat i'm just gonna remember oh yeah Cerebron told me that yeah these two clubs are not the best of friends maybe um at the moment or going forward anytime soon thanks so much for your time cerebrone yes you find my guest cerebrone on twitter in case you don't know him he's a cost trouble that's a cost argument just drop one you just drop some little known fact and the ant will rush to the sugar and before you know it the tweet blows up and everybody is throwing jabs here there and everywhere if you can't take the hate though don't reply to his tear to his, to his tweets because one way or the other he's going to find you out and is going to reveal the loophole in your information at cerebrone on twitter c-e-r-e-b-r-o-n-e i almost forgot as this cerebrone we're talking about is as is the same one that was featured on bbc and is a teenager <laughs> <laughs> did i look like a teenager in it i did know Okay, like okay. Oh, it's your look. It's your look. That is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hide it behind your look. Yes, yeah, no, yeah, no go. Proof that I'm not a teenager. So I shall, I not, shall stick with my story. Not if, not if I can find out where you live, though, and then get. <laughs> Nobody has any. Good, good to, good to have you on board. <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't be assured that that will stay you can't be assured that that will stay the same way for that long but of course thank you so much for your time i appreciate it one hour 30 minutes yeah. plus or minus um of just history digging dissecting the facts and of course putting an end to baseless arguments specifically the ones about checkbook managers thank you so much for your time sir Brunner. has been the first thank x you. minutes podcast um, of course, whatever you're going to be doing in the coming days, I'm sure you're going to spend a whole lot of time at home. Stay safe, mind your business, follow up precautionary measures, and of course, be good. I'll catch you in the next episode of the podcast. But until then, bye for now. <laughs>